Acts 13, verses 32 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, to have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, will, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But, when, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your servant, Ryan, Lord, and I pray that you be with our, our minds and our hearts. Father, that you open us up to what you have to say to us today. For all sins in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to dig into Acts 13. We've been in a series where we've been going through the book of Acts, and we call the series As You Go, because it's all about how Jesus uh, has called his apostles and disciples to make disciples as they go throughout the world. And the implications of this for us is that we do the same. There are some things in the book of Acts that are descriptive, that they tell us about an event. But there are also other things that are prescriptive, that inform us how we are to live as God's people. And so we're going to be looking in at that this morning. And this particular text that we're in this morning is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. It's his first sermon that he ever preaches that we have record of. And uh, last week we looked at, at the, the, the kind of the first group of content of that and his his, his whole thing was is he went into this Jewish synagogue and he began to talk about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise, all the promises of the Old Testament. And we showed how he reigns and he's the fulfillment of all of that and how all of our stories find fulfillment in Jesus. That's what we looked at last week. And, and this week, um, there, there's, a, there's a verse in here that really uh, grabbed me this week that I want to share with you that, that I... I'd probably say this is the sermon that I'm preaching. I'm going to look at the rest of Acts 13, but this is the sermon that really has grabbed me and I want us to delve into. And it's Acts 13, 36, and it says this. For David, when he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died. Think about that. When da David, when he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he died. He fell asleep. What is the purpose of God in our generation? Why in the world are we here? You know, Dr. De uh, Hugh Moorhead, who taught philosophy at Northeastern Illinois University uh, until 2002, um, he wrote this book in 1988 uh, where, where he wrote to 250 of the best known philosophers and intellectuals of his day, and he asked them a simple question and asked them to respond to it. And the question was this, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And, and what he began to do is he, he compiled a book 
and looked at the discoveries of, of what he had found and the responses that he had gotten. And some of the responses were, were like this. Some of, some of those who contributed to the book offered, offered guesses, and they, they claimed that they were guesses. Uh, others admitted that they had made up a purpose uh, for their lives, that their whole life was something that they had made up and thought that seemed good. And, and others wrote back to him and said, I have no idea, but when you finish the book, can you send it to me? It's kind of funny, right? Until you think about real people. <laughs> Guys, this is, this is the question we've got to answer this morning. This is the question we have to, that we really have to contend for and we have to wrestle through this to see, God, what is my purpose in this life? Is it just to bolt on religion? To show up on Sundays and to, to kind of be there and get the t-shirt? Or is, there so, or is there something that's more than that? How would you answer that question this morning? What is the purpose of God for you in this generation that you live? We could answer that question. We could try to answer that question. But maybe even the better way to answer that question would be to, to approach the people that we share the deepest life with. The people... Uh, that live in our homes, the people that we are parents of, or that are our children, or that are co-workers or neighbors of ours, and ask them this question, what do you think my purpose in life is from the, from the outside looking in? What would you say that it is? They would look at things like how you spend your time, and how you spend your money, and how you spend your words. The things that you say, the things that you do, and they would try to, to, to culminate that all into a purpose that you're aiming your whole life at. The big idea of where we're going today is this. Life in Jesus gives us freedom to live out the purpose of God in our generation. Let me say that one more time. Life in Jesus gives us freedom to live out the purpose of God in our generation. So I want to tell you where I'm going before I get there. I've got three points, three things I want to talk about this morning. Um, the first one is this. <clears throat> the purpose of God in our generation is to walk forgiven in Jesus. The second one is this, the purpose of God in our generation is to live free through Jesus. The third one is this, the purpose of God in our generation is to serve the world like Jesus. Now, these, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is what Paul seemed to think was important because this is what he preached after he talked about David fulfilling the purpose of God in his generation. These are the things that he makes a beeline for to tell these people who hear this first sermon and this is what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be doing some work in Acts chapter 13. So flip it open uh, to uh, verse 32 through 39 to start, and we'll dig in here. Purpose of God in our generation is to walk forgiven in Jesus. So let me, let me remind you of the text here, starting in verse 32. And, and we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption or death, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption, meaning Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't die, he would, he would resurrect. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, meaning he died. But, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. He didn't die. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything 
from which he could not be freed from the law of Moses. So, so church, what does it mean for us to walk forgiven and why is this such a big deal for us? Well, what God's Word does in our lives, particularly the law that he's talking about here, the, the, the Old Testament law, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, what, 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 those, what those words serve as a purpose for us as the church, is, there's a few purposes they serve, but I'm going to focus on one. Uh, some people have said, you know, it's a, it's a curb, it's a mirror, it's a guide, the law of God is. So, so we're not as bad as we could be, a curb. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mirror, meaning that we get to see our sinfulness when we look at God's standard of holiness. And thirdly, it's a guide, it shows us how we ought to walk in God as forgiven people. Now, uh, I want to look, talk about it being a mirror to us. You know, a mirror um, doesn't lie. Can I get an amen? The, the mirror doesn't lie. You look at the mirror, and what you see is who you are. Now, some of us like that. Some of us don't. But God has made us that way, and we deal with it, and we walk on, right? The mirror doesn't lie to us, and God's Word doesn't lie to us either. And so when we see who we are in light of God who in light of who God is, uh, a lot of times we see things in our lives that we wish were different. The decisions that we wish that we had made a different way. Things that we wish we would have said differently. To forgive in this, in this passage right here literally means to release from captivity. So think about it like this. Everyone in the world is walking around as slaves without the blood of Jesus covering them. Now, we don't, we don't think that way, it doesn't seem that way, but that's what God's Word says is true about us, that we need to be released from captivity, that sin kind of holds us in. And what he talks about here in this Acts 13 passage is that because of sin, what that ultimately leads to is death for us. And so we're slaves to death because we're slaves to sin, and there's really no escape hatch until Jesus came. There's, there's no escape hatch because there's no one that's ever overcome death until Jesus came. And so what, what we see here is that by faith in Jesus, we get to, to release the escape hatch that death has on us through our sin. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-10, through 10, church. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive or trick ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So how do we, how do we walk forgiven? Well, what John writes to, the letter that he writes is he says this, Getting released from this captivity that we, that, we, that we experience through sin comes through confessing our sin to the one who has overcome sin and death and is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The way that we experience forgiveness in life is we confess our sin to Him. And what do we do when we confess our sin? He, he forgives us. He releases us because He's paid for that sin. He's dealt with that sin. Now, it's a conditional phrase, isn't it? If you confess. If you confess your sins, then He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, meaning all of the ways that you haven't kept God's Word. So think about this. Most of, 
us spend our entire lives avoiding responsibility for the things that we've done. I mean, it's not just your kids, right? It's not just your kids that, that point the finger at the other sibling and say, no, it wasn't me, it was him. It's, it's not just them, it's us. We're just more grown up and mature about it, and we hide our sin a lot better. That's what we kind of grow into as sinners, right? He says, if you confess your sin, so, so what would it look like, church, for us to be the most ready to confess our sins to one another so that we could be the most ready to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and His blood washing over us to give us confidence as we walk in life. That, that's the hope of the good news about the work of Jesus for us. Is that we can stand and walk as forgiven people no matter what our lives have amounted to up until this point. And guess what? If we continue sinning and we continue confessing, He'll still forgive us. Right? But He says that there's this tension that could keep you from forgive, for, 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 um, receiving forgiveness. And it's, it's unbelief. Listen to what He says in Acts 13, flipping back over to the sermon that Paul preaches here. In verses 40 and 41, he says this, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about to these Jewish people that are hearing him preach about forgiveness. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So, so what's the warning here? The warning is this, is that we're prone to not believe God's Word and we're prone not to ask for forgiveness of sins and we're prone not to confess our sins because something inside of us that's twisted and deep prefers to try to handle our sin on our own and cover it up and hide it. Now that, that's the danger for us. And so you, you can think about whatever shortcoming you've had this week or this morning. Um, and for me, it wouldn't take very long to think about that. Maybe it would take longer for you. But um, as, as I think about that, there is just something inside of me that wants to avoid responsibility. Something inside of me that wants to say it wasn't me, it was your fault. And, and that is the work of the enemy in our lives to try to, to convince us to not believe the Word of God. To try to convince us that we don't need to be forgiven. To try to convince us that we're better off than we are. But Jesus is the one that makes us perfect, not ourselves. What is it in your life, church, this week, this morning, this day, that you simply need to confess so that you can be forgiven today? What is it for you? Because to walk in that unbelief is to walk on an unsecure, an insecure tightrope that does not have the blood of Jesus washing over you and forgiving you. Now, He forgives our sin past, present, future when we come to Him. But he does say that his work in us is to confess our sin. He leads us to be more humble people who own our sin. What, what sin do you conceal and try to handle on your own? Maybe, maybe there's a pattern in your life that, that you are constantly battling. And you're constantly trying to conceal it. You're constantly trying to avoid it. Why do you want to be a Christian without being a sinner? We're prone to try to live this Christian life without really needing Jesus. And uh, when we are in our, in our best place as God's people, our posture is that we confess our sin. And we confess it a lot. And that's one of the reasons as a church that we practice confession in our corporate worship gathering. 
because we want it to be a rhythm in our lives, not just our Sundays. And so what would it look like for us to, to lead that way with our children and with our, and with our wives and with our husbands, where we are quick to own our sins so that we can walk forgiven and really be freed? If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just. The second thing is this. Um, the purpose of God in our generation is to live free through Jesus. So, so we get to experience freedom through forgiveness so that we can then walk th- free. We can live free. So listen to Acts 13, 39. It says this, and, and, by him, Jesus, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Freed from everything. Listen to that language. Freed from everything. What, what does that mean? How can, how can we walk in that? What would it look like for your life to be free? I think there are a couple of ways that we see freedom. And I want to talk about a, a form of that that may be false freedom to us. Sometimes we think freedom is, is this, is the feeling of freedom from sin's penalty, meaning that our sins aren't held against us, but we still get to live however we want to live. Some people think and say that that's what freedom is. Is that we just, we just come in here and we, we kind of walk the Christian, you know, thing where we show up at church and we, and we participate in the indicators of what a Christian looks like. And then at the end of the day, we get to live however we want to. And that's what it means to be free. To be truly free, I would argue, is this, is to, to live as you are intended to live. Were Adam and Eve more free, you know, before sin entered the world or, or after? It was, it was before, right? They had the, the option to, 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 to choose to sin or not to sin. And now what we see in the Scriptures is that we don't really have that option anymore apart from Jesus. As, I'm skipping ahead here, but as you see in Genesis 6-5, here, here's what God says about His people before Noah builds the ark, okay? Here's what the Word says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, let me say that again, every intention of the thoughts of his heart, everything he was thinking, everything he was doing, was only evil continually. <laughs> so he was, the, the people of God were always and only sinning because of what had happened in the garden that day. That's not freedom at all. That's captivity. We're slaves to sin. Sometimes we think about we think about freedom like this. Let's think about a train. This is a little a train. We spend a lot of time with these. We spent more time when the kids were a little bit younger, but building the tracks on the, on the carpet in the basement. And it's like looking at this train and saying that this train is more free without the tracks. Does that make sense? It's like saying that this train is, is, is really doing what it's intended to do when it's not on the tracks. And you and I know that it is a train wreck when that happens, right? Where our lives, church, when they're not on the tracks of God's Word, they're a train wreck. We may say that we're free, we may act like we're free, but they're a train wreck. Because we were intended to live with the purpose of, 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 that God has made us for, to, to live out how He has made us to live, which is described in His Word. He's given us His Word because we forgot how to live through sin. And so He begins to show us through the giving of the law, through the giving of judges, through the giving of a king who would point our way to a better king, King Jesus, who would then give us grace to walk out the commandments of God. 
to live as free people. Freedom is living as we were intended to live. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Paul says this as he writes uh, to the church in Rome. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What's he mean? He's saying, listen, when you were in that captivity, that slavery of sin, you didn't really have the standard that you can even try to live up to of righteousness. You weren't even concerned about it. You were always and only sinning. But what fruit were you getting at that time, verse 21 says, from the things from which you are now ashamed? What did, what did that produce in your life, all that sin that you were pursuing? For the end of those things is what? Death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. But the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then he says a verse that we've probably heard before. For the wages of sin is death. So what you earn for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's he saying? That the true life is found in being forgiven and able to walk free through the work of Jesus. But when we make a habit out of continually sinning and not following what God has set forth for us in His Word, we prove ourselves to be dead on the inside. But God's work is greater. So, so what's, what's more of this true freedom? Well, I would say it's this. It's, 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 um, true freedom is that this. God calls us to be... Um, he calls us to revolutionary subordination. So, so we tend to think about subordination meaning, meaning placing ourselves under the authority and leadership of someone else. We tend to think about subordination as this really bad word. No one wants to work for someone else. We all want to work for ourselves, right? But it's actually the best way to live according to God's Word. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo said, said it like this, you know, some, I don't know, 1800 years ago, 1700 years ago. True freedom is not choice or lack of constraint. That's what I've described the train without the tracks, the train wreck. That's not true freedom. But true freedom is this being what you are meant to be. Humans were created in the image of God. True freedom then is not being not found in moving away from that image, but only living it out, living out what we were intended to be. So this, this idea of authentic freedom means that I'm at my best when I'm freely choosing to submit myself to the, to the lordship of Jesus. So let's think about that. What would it look like for us to live today as we were intended to live? Through, through confessing our sin and, and making it known that, hey, we're not living the way that we should be living and we're actually really suffering because of that. Even though things look great on our uh, online profile and, and things seem great when we're in conversation, but we're really suffering because we're on our own tracks over here. What would it look like to confess that and then be able to be free to live as God has intended you to live today? Well, what would that mean for you? What would need to happen in your life for you to begin to walk toward that? How is Jesus inviting you to more freedom today? Kids, you, you can answer this question too. What is it in your life that you have a really difficult time obeying mom and dad on? You just think, man, I, if I could set the rules, this house would be totally different, right? I mean, there's some things that you're thinking of. What would it look like for you to have this kind of revolutionary subordination where you say, you know what, mom and dad, God has put them in my life for a reason, and because of that, I'm going to obey what they say because that would honor God most. What would it look like for you? 
Lastly, to, to serve the purpose of God in our generation would mean to serve the world like Jesus. So there's this incredible temptation in our lives to make this world about us. And, and the thing that we realize from the Scriptures is that when we start with us <laughs> and we try to find the end in us, it's impossible to live God's purpose for our lives because we were never created for ourselves. We were created for God. As, as Augustine said in another place, we were created for God and, and we're going to be restless until we find our rest in Him. And so when you come home to God, you realize that you were made for so much more than yourself, for your own pleasure, for your own happiness, for your own success, that will fade. This life is like, this is like the preface to the book, guys. Eternity awaits us. We haven't even started chapter one yet. God has so much in store for us. And when we realize that the world doesn't orbit around us, and we begin to live for the sake of others because of how Jesus is working in our hearts, it changes us. I mean, I think about this constant redirection that has to happen in our hearts. Our kids, a few of our kids were going with us to visit one of our elders in the hospital last week, Joe Brand. You guys have been praying for him, by the way. I just want to give you an update. He, uh, he is doing well. He had his best day yesterday. He's awaiting a new surgery that will be on Tuesday that will be to replace the, the, the brain shunt. So thank you for praying for him. Please continue uh, to do that. Um, they are encouraged by your prayers. So, so anyway, we went to visit uh, them, and, and I took my kids in with me. It was a Saturday morning, and, and as we were there, um, you know, we had talked as a family. How could we encourage, how could we be of service to the Brand family as we go? And, and Megan had kind of talking with them. We, we, we kind of came to this point where we realized, okay, uh, it would be good for, for uh, Roman and, 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 and Maggie to give um, Mr. Joe some prayer to come in and to be able to pray for him and give Miss Julie some hugs because she's probably had a rough day, a rough week. And, and, and we have to think intentionally about what it looks like to make life not about us because everything around us is we have to make it about us. Everything in your life is pointed toward making you the supreme being in your life. The only people that are going to encourage you otherwise are like in this room or in a space in a relationship with other Christians because they're the only ones who have life apart from themselves. We're the only ones that, that, that can lay down our lives because Jesus gives us life. No one else in the world can afford to lay down their life, to lay down their pride, to lay down their appearance of security because there's no security to be found apart from Jesus. I, I, I'm just thinking of the, the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where, where he says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I mean, Sometimes we think that service is really about doing things for God. Man, I just need to do some things for God so that He'll be happy with me. What Jesus says here is that I don't need you to do anything for me. You don't need to do anything for me. You're not going to give me more, you're not going to give me more glory than I already have. But what you can do is serve the world and reveal the glory that I already have. Because He has it all. And when we serve like Jesus does, as David did in his day, David served the purpose of God in his generation. He had to make a decision, prompted by the Holy Spirit, I'm certain, that life was not about him. That he was going to be a different kind of king because he belonged to God. 
Because he was a man after God's own heart that had his own flaws that we talked about last week. But he had to make an intentional decision to say, this life is not about me. What, God, how do you want me to play a part in your bigger story of redemption? And, and we think about the, the kind of the big purpose of God's people, you know, to make him known throughout the world, to, to walk forgiven, to live free, to serve. But then also within that, we have our own specific callings to how God has called us to serve the world. Right? We have specific vocations that God has called us to flesh out the purposes of God in. We have specific neighborhoods that God has providentially placed you in to live out the purpose of God. Specific schools. Specific families to live out the purposes of God in your generation. And no one can live it except for you. And then here's what else I love about that passage. When David served the purpose of God in his generation, what did he do? He died. He died. He didn't die forever. But his body died and his soul went to be with his Father in heaven. Guys, when we, when we die, we have served the purpose of God in our generation. It, it, is, it is sad to experience loss. And sometimes even Father's Day just brings these feelings up. But when we die, we've served the purpose of God in our generation because God is the one that holds the keys to life and death. He's the one that sets the bookends on our days. And so how will we live out these days? What will our legacy be and what will our purpose be as we walk this life out? Because wherever God has you right now, he has purpose in his kingdom for you to live out intentionally for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your good, for the sake of his glory. He's got it all right there for you. Jesus would, would go on to talk about in the upper room discourse um, just, just about this, this purpose of serving. And it, it comes from John 13. And this is, the, this is the place where Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples and he begins uh, to take off his robe, his outer garment, and he begins to come in and, and to make himself the least in the room, even though he's the greatest in the room. He's the greatest in any room he's in. He makes himself the least, and he begins to wash their grimy feet as they've just made this journey from Galilee all the way to the greater Jerusalem area for the feast of the Passover, right? They're dirty, they're filthy, they found this rented room to have a meal in, and here's what Jesus says. Here's what the Word says about what Jesus did. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. You can, you can give me glory with your words. That's great. You can sing to me. That's awesome. Because that's who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I have positioned myself as the lowest in the room, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you go and do them. Church, we have been given new life in Jesus through faith in his work. And, and what have we been created for? Ephesians 2.10 says this, you were created for good works in which God prepared in advance that you should walk in them. The good works that are around you they're, they're not necessarily for God. Martin Luther said, you know, your neighbor, you know, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Because it reveals the glory of God that he deserves as you submit yourself to all of those around you. 
Paul would say in another, in another place, I, I've become a servant to all so that I might win some to Christ. So what would it look like in our lives right now to pick up the servant's towel, to hold the door open, to put ourselves in a position, no matter what room we're in, to be servant of all, even though the world would say that's not what you have to do. What would it look like for you? You know, this word for servant is a really interesting word. There's three words for servant in the Bible, in, in, the, in the New Testament here. And this one is, um, is different than the, than the others because it indicates being under authority as you serve. So think about it like this. In, in Paul's day, there were these ships that didn't have huge diesel engines on them, right? And, and what they had was these windows, these portholes along the ship. And in those portholes, there were, there, were, there were men, or I think, I think men, maybe women too, but there were men that were rowing the ship. That, that's how the ship went places when the, when the sail wasn't you know, able to, to do what it needed to do. And they were called under rowers. So they were under the authority of the captain who was directing the ship, who was steering the ship, who was charting the path. And you couldn't even see these guys. They just had a little oar hanging out the window doing what the captain told them to do in sequence. This is the piece of the puzzle that we play in the story of God. We are under rowers. He's called us to serve because He sent Jesus to serve us so well. And now we have nothing to gain from this world. We have nothing to gain anymore. There's nothing that this world can give us that eternity won't give us tenfold. I promise. And so because of that, what we do is we serve with everything we've got, everyone that we can, so that Jesus might be supreme in our community, in our neighborhood, in our families, and in our hearts. This is what God has called His people to. So, so what would it look like for you today to take inventory of your life? And look at the places where God might be inviting you to serve like Jesus. Not because you're giving anything to God, but because you're revealing who God is to the world. Because there's, there's something about a person who gives up themselves so that another can reign supreme, another can, can receive glory. There's something that's extraordinary in this world about that. And I think God is inviting us into that uh, today. So let's pray. Our Father, we just give thanks for, um, for the freedom that You give us in Jesus. Um, and how You've called us into Your, your kingdom, God. And because of that, we're able to be freed from everything that we could know, couldn't be freed of before. So Jesus, we, just, we come to You today and we, we thank You that You've redeemed us, that You've ransomed us, that You've reconciled us to our Father in Heaven. And we ask that we might live lives that are worthy of that call. That we'd receive the forgiveness that we have that's ours in Jesus. That we'd walk freely it's true freedom among our peers, among our neighbors, and that we'd serve the world like Jesus. We pray this all through Jesus' name. Amen.